0: is real there's power in your name we find hope and we trust in your ways we need Jesus is real
1: but listen if you ever doubt if God is going to be faithful to you in the future just like what he's done in the past the cross Shows God's seriousness about redeeming humanity about redeeming you and if God is willing to go to those lengths to redeem you then what are you worried about about the future why are you
0: scared there's a reason the Israelites told and retold the stories of God's great works and his faithfulness looking back on what God had done in the past gave them the hope they needed for the future you can do the same When you look back to times that God rescued you, it will build your faith in God's enduring goodness. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to remind you that you have even more to look forward to. You can look to the cross. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 24 as he continues his message, Farewell, Joshua.
1: What you find is that there's a huge story, there's a redemptive story that's going on here. But once again, you know, people say this all the time, and I tend to agree with it, that your testimony is a great thing for you to share. Now, here's the thing. I agree because God's story in your life is important to share, but here's the thing. Most of us, when we share a testimony, we just brag about how sinful we were. It's all about us and our garbage and not about who God is and what he's done. Does that make sense? So I always tell people because I want you all to know how to share your testimony. If somebody asks for your story, be like Joshua. Make it brief. Okay, everyone doesn't want to know what you ate for breakfast for every single day, and they want the highlights. But here's the thing: use a lot of scripture and tell them what God has done in your life, not all the bad things you did. Because you know what it is? You're in a testimony and someone's down there going on and on, you know. And, you know, I, I would close down every bar and I'd bring home every woman and the whole thing. And that was like, and, and some people are like, oh, man, I don't have a good testimony like that guy. No, you just weren't as nasty as they were, you know. And, and then by the time it's over, then someone else goes, out, well, well, you know, so-and-so, like, man, I opened up every bar. I didn't even go home, you know. And then before you know it, it's all this flesh talking. And you're like, okay, so really all we're doing is glorying in the horror show of our past." And this testimony is about what God has done. And listen, what God has done in your life is what God has done in your life. And don't be afraid to tell someone what God has done in your life. Because you know what's funny? People could argue about the Bible, and, and they do, but nobody can really argue about what God has done in your life. Now, I'm not saying that your testimony is better than the Bible. It's not. The Bible is God's word. But the story of what God, I remember I, I was talking to a family member about this, and he was, and he was real, you know, he was well read at being a skeptic, but I was better read. But that's a different discussion, you know? And so he was giving me all of his things, of all of his reasons why he didn't believe it. And then I remember saying, Well, I'm like, well, I can tell you that God just did this last week. And he's like, Well, that's rather subjective. I'm like, Well, what are you gonna say about what God did last week? And I gave him all these things, and he's like, Well. I don't know what to say about that. I'm like, we should think about that. And it was funny though, because it was like he knew he couldn't argue the story of what God had just did. So I love the fact that if you read the scriptures, the number of times in the Bible that you get the story of God calling Abram, ultimately the children of Israel going to Egypt and God delivering them from a mighty hand, that gets rehearsed in almost every single book of your Bible. So over and over and over again, the story of God's redemption in the history of the children of Israel is used as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Now, here's the thing. For you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have an even better story of God's faithfulness. Because you and I live on the other side of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And... When you think about what's going to happen next, you have to remember that it is a fixed historical fact that God sent Jesus, and he lived perfectly, and he always did those things which pleased his Father. And Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. It was a Roman cross, but he was put there by the Jewish people in cahoots with the Romans, and death could not hold him because he didn't do anything deserving of death, and he was resurrected from the grave and not only was he resurrected from the grave Jesus ascended bodily into heaven and a whole bunch of people saw it I wish there was cell phone cameras when that happened I always imagine can you imagine when Jesus was ascending into heaven Peter and John and they were like pulling the thing out whoa Whoa! look at the Lord where's he going can you imagine that wouldn't that be awesome then the angels show up the angels like hey so uh, men of Galilee Why are you staring at the sky right now? Jesus is gonna come back the same way he went. And and you can imagine like Peter be like, oh way. O-M-G-O-S-H, you know, like you can just imagine these guys with these cell phone cameras. And then you can imagine they're posting on YouTube, be like, that's fake, that's you know, computer animation, we don't believe that thing. But no, no, we were there. But listen. If you ever doubt if God is going to be faithful to you in the future, just look at what he's done in the past. The cross shows God's seriousness about redeeming humanity, about redeeming you. And if God is willing to go to those lengths to redeem you, then what are you worried about about the future? Why are you scared? Because God is already taking care of all the big stuff. It's already finished. But we have to learn how to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have to learn how to remind ourselves of the story of what God has done. And what's beautiful is as we've studied from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and now through the book of Joshua, we keep seeing that all of these things that went on, they all point to Jesus in different ways, don't they? Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have light, but they are those which testify of me. So on every page of the Older Testament or the pre-New Covenant, even though really the New Covenant was at work in the Old Covenant, just Jesus hadn't come yet. Right? Every, on every single page, you see type and shadow of the work of the cross, the finished work of Jesus, God's plan for the Messiah. It's all right there for you. Now, he rehearses what went on In Egypt, how God delivered them at the Red Sea. He goes through the fighting against the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. He reminded them, of course, of what had gone on with the prophet Balaam, where Balak had paid Balaam to curse the children of Israel. He goes through all of the different things that have gone on. And then he reminded them, of course, when you came into this promised land here, Jericho, you conquered everybody. And what I love here is really the fulfillment. If you look at verses 12 and following, he says, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also, the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your swords or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build, and you will dwell in them and eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, people argue about who the hornet is, You know, and nobody really knows. So some people say it was some insects of warfare. God put fear upon these armies and that was the hornet. And some people say it was an angel. And uh, the rabbis say all sorts of really weird things about what the hornet could and couldn't be. So I'm not going to speculate. But I think what's beautiful is these verses are beautiful pictures of what God's grace is all about. You get to dwell in cities that you didn't build. You get to eat from vines you didn't plant. You get to live in a blessing that you did nothing for. And my friends, that's what grace is all about. The grace of God is the fact that you are acceptable in the beloved, even though you did everything to thwart that, except when Jesus sought you out, you agreed to be a part of that. And that's what grace is. Grace is that you get to live a life that you don't deserve. And that you live every single day with tremendous gratitude for the fact that what you're experiencing has nothing to do with you. See, the problem with humanity and the reason people struggle with putting their faith and trust in Jesus, and I'm sure there's some of you who are hearing this right now or you're watching this on TV or you're watching this on the internet or you're, you're here in one of our physical sanctuaries, you're like, why would I ever want to believe in Jesus when I don't get to add anything to it because I don't like a free lunch. But the thing is, is you can't add anything to your salvation. Like, all we bring to our salvation is our need of salvation, like, all we bring, all I brought to the equation was rebellion against God. And me getting to live under God's grace, filled with His Spirit, having the Bible open to me by the Spirit as we study it together, all of that is a gift. The ability to use gifts within the body of Christ and within the world at large, guess what? Those aren't gifts that we developed on our own. The... Natural capacity was given as a gift. The passion to cultivate that gift, that's also given as a gift. And any effectiveness is also given as a gift. So we are left, if we think through the lens of the Spirit, through the eyes of grace, what we begin to realize is that the only thing we should be doing is humbling ourselves before the Lord and saying, thank you for so great a salvation. And when was the last time you were willing to dwell there? I think it was Amy Carmichael, the great missionary to India. She wrote this little book called If. And it was like on every page, it was just an if-then statement, you know? And one of those, it was kind of like burned in my heart. If I love any place other than the dust at the foot of the cross, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. Let that land for a second. If you love any place except the dust at the foot of the cross, then you know nothing of Calvary's love. What that means is when you realize what the cross is all about, God's love and God's holiness, where it meets together in the person of Jesus, and you realize that although you have no right, no even, you don't even have a lottery ticket, to be able to have any access to anything there, and God says, I'm going to bestow my life upon you. What did I do to deserve it? Actually, you didn't do anything to deserve it. Actually, you are infinitely not deserving of this. It'd be like if, if your four-year-old went into your house and painted all the walls with modern art. And not only did you not reprimand them, you're like, here, here. Here's a chocolate cake, too. I mean, think about it. That's what the cross is. That's what grace is. And if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you are living in this. All that God has bestowed upon you. You did nothing to deserve any of it. So all you could do is say, Lord, thank you for so amazing grace. Thank you for so great a salvation. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus. Jesus. I mean, that's why John Newton penned that most famous hymn, Amazing Grace, as he was thinking about his life as a slave trader. And when he came to know Jesus, he realized all the atrocities that he was involved in. And all he could write was, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that would save a wretch like me. I once was lost, and now I'm found. I once was blind, and now I see. And each one of us stands in the same place. Maybe the... Details of your rebellion were different. But God is allowing you to live in the midst of blessings that you didn't have anything to do with. Sometimes, especially in our culture, we want to deceive ourselves to think we did. I remember when someone, they were like, ma'am, so I was a young teacher, and someone said, man, Pastor, you're a really good teacher. And I remember I started being like, yeah, I am. You know, like I was, I was like feeling that. I'm like, yeah, man, I've been like preaching all these Bible studies and I'm working on the craft and I'm listening to guys and I'm like stealing their lines and, you know, all this stuff. And I remember this older gal looked over at me. She said, Pastor Daniel, it's all a gift. And she didn't mean it. Like she wasn't like kind of, she wasn't trying to cut me off at the knees because she was as sweet as buttons, you know? She'd have a mean bone in her body, but I heard that and it kind of leveled me because I was like, Oh, yeah, and, and I felt like the Lord was like, Daniel, your mouth, I gave you that. Your mind, I gave you that. Any insight you have into the scriptures, the fact that you even wanted to study that, I gave you that, and I inspired that word. Yes. You know, if you got anything good going for you, I gave it to you. And I was like, oh, I better get over myself. <laughs> now, you guys can all judge me like, yeah, you better get over yourself, Fusco. <laughs> and that's true, but listen, we all gotta get over ourselves, Amen. Yeah. Whatever gifts and talents you have, they're on loan from the Lord and you're gonna give an account for that stewardship. That's what grace is all about. Now, from the rehearsal of the history of the children of Israel, by the time we get into verse 14, we start to see what the responsibility of the people who have received such grace are. Look at what it says, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which are on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods for the lord our god is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed And verse 18, The Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Verse 19, But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions, nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Now, what's fascinating here is once they recount God's amazing faithfulness, their responsibility is that they should fear the Lord, they should serve Him with in sincerity and in truth, and they should put away all the idols from Him, and they should only serve the Lord. So really what, as God has been faithful to the children of Israel, all the children of Israel have to do is respond to God's faithfulness and be faithful to Him. Right? And Joshua keeps coming to them and saying, listen, whatever you do, don't be unfaithful to the Lord, right? And they're like, absolutely, we are gonna serve the Lord. And then Joshua's like, well, you better put away all those idols that you guys got. And they're like, we will do it. We're only gonna serve the Lord. We would only serve God. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And you notice how Joshua isn't buying it, right? Now, the reason what's, it's sad because Joshua's actually speaking to them prophetically because by the time you get to the book of Judges, What's the most common phrase in the book of Judges? Anybody know? Children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They went after other gods. Now, here's the thing. You and I need to learn how to radically trust God and be radically skeptical about ourselves. That's what we have to, write that down. Be Trust God radically and be radically skeptical of yourself. Because the children of Israel were presumptuous. They assumed that because God had been so faithful to them, they were definitely going to be faithful to him. Just in the same way, the apostle Peter was presumptuous when Jesus said, listen, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to forsake me. Or twice, and you'll forsake me three times. And Peter's like, no way, Jesus. What do you know? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm always going to be here with you. I'm going to die for you. And before you know it, what happened to Peter? He's like, I don't know the man. There's a little slave girl. And he's like, I never even met the guy. Right? Because he presumed that he was better off than he really was. You know, and then you think about things like it says in the scriptures, like the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, your capacity for evil knows no end. And I know we love Jesus and we're always going to be there for Jesus. But let's just be honest. Most of us are just super unfaithful to the Lord. It's like, we love Jesus until the cute guy shows up. And that cute guy says, oh, I think you're so cute. And then before you know it, you're not following Jesus for a season. Or, man, Jesus is awesome until there's a big party. I'm going to the rave out in the the desert. You know, I'm going to go to Burning Man. I mean, listen, Burning Man, just think of the name. That's all you need to know, right? But go to Burning Man. I'm going to have some crazy experience. And then you're like, oh yeah, I just love Jesus somewhere else so I can go to have this experience. Or, I love Jesus, I'm not going to be faithful to Jesus until there's a lot of money that I can make if I cut a couple corners. Right? So, the human condition is that we are radically unfaithful. By the time you get to the prophets, they're constantly calling out the children of Israel on spiritual adultery. So much so that one of the prophets actually, God asked him to marry a prostitute. As a living letter to the children of israel you'll give yourself out to anybody who you think will bless you but i'm still not done with you yet so here's the question for each one of us what are the idols in your heart martin luther said it now listen i quote martin luther not because i agree with everything martin luther said martin luther said a lot of really great things but you realize that if you read anybody you got to chew on the meat and spit out the bones does that make sense so I know we live in a day and age, God forbid you, you know, I've had someone say to me, I can't believe you quoted this person. You know, this person believes this and this. And I'm like, look, all truth is God's truth. And so if someone said it, it's good. I'll quote him on it. I, mean, I believe everything they said. The only thing I believe in totality is the Bible. Everything else, I chew on the meat and spit out the bones. Does that make sense? And that's it, because people freak out. I quote Martin Luther. Martin Luther, like, taught us so much, but he had a lot of things he was totally wrong about. Like his view of Jewish people, totally wrong. His view of the communion table, totally wrong, I believe. You know what I mean? But I'm going to quote him anyway because he was totally right on this piece. He said that the reason the Ten Commandments begins with I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. He said because the human heart is of idol factory. And the reason you'll break all the other of the commandments is because you end up breaking the first one first. Like if you violate that God is your God, that's the only reason you kill somebody. It's the only reason you'd steal from somebody. It's the only reason you would violate the Sabbath in that culture. Because really what you're saying is, I don't trust God. Because I don't trust God, I'm going to do this, this. I'm going to covet my neighbor's stuff, all this stuff. It all begins with breaking the first commandment. So really what he's saying is that the Ten Commandments unpack a human heart idol problem. But the thing is, is although we live in a different culture, people are exactly the same. All of us have them. We have the propensity to want to be unfaithful to God so that we can do other things. And what I love about this is if we learn how to radically trust the Lord and we learn how to be really skeptical about ourselves, then when you look in your heart and you see what the propensities are, then you're not too proud to presume that you're not making bad decisions because of those propensities. See, Jesus did not submit himself to mankind because he knew what was in them. And that's true for us as well. So we, listen, we always say here at Crosses that we're all in process. And that's why we're a place of grace. So no one's judging anybody here. But listen, you got idols in your heart, so do I. We have the propensity to be unfaithful to God for other things. And if we say, Lord, will you show me what are the objects of my affection that buy for that place of primacy in my heart that only you deserve. Show me what those are so that I can understand what they are and I can do battle against them. I think we would all do way better.
0: Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel finished up the book of Joshua. In this final part, we saw Joshua giving a speech to the people of Israel. In it, he recounted the great things that God had done in their lives. God's faithfulness in the central story that each of us must tell. What has God done in your life? How has he rescued you? Tell the story of God's faithfulness over and over, just like we see the stories repeated in Scripture.
1: Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com.
0: Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel worked through the book of Joshua. This book told the story of God's continuing faithfulness to his people and to the promises he's made. The book of Joshua took place hundreds of years after God made his initial promises about the land he would give to Abram's descendants. Each person along the way played a part in those promises coming true. Will you be faithful to your call and his timing? Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we want to invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.